taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Come on, let's clap together one more time. As you're getting ready to be seated, why don't you turn to somebody to your right or left and say, Happy last normal Sunday of Journey Church's year. It's good to see you here today. This is our last Sunday morning. Can you believe that? I'm all excited for 2019. Nobody. That's great. That's incredible. And so I know what I need to preach on then. Excitement. New Year's resolution. Something like that. But it is the end of another year at Journey Church, and we are... We're thrilled to be doing life with you at all of our campuses. Uh, God's been good to us this year. He's been, he's been better than he should be. He's opened up doors for us. We're getting ready. We're getting closer and closer and closer. We got about two months till we'll open up our fifth campus. We should be excited about that. And so uh, that's coming. Uh, we, we have seen people get saved this year. That is always exciting. We're going to baptize people in a, couple, in a couple months. We've had a lot of exciting things happen in our church, and I love that song that God uh, you've, been, you've been good to us. You've been better to us than we deserve you to be to us. And so uh, if you're new to this church, we spend some time singing every week, and then we spend about 30 minutes, and we open up the Bible, and we believe it's God's Word. The Bible says of itself that every word in there is useful, and so it's, it, it has the ability to change our lives. The Bible says it's alive and it's active. And so uh, we believe that God speaks through His Word, so somebody stands up here and talks, but it's really not about the person who's talking, that we've, we've lifted up the name of Jesus. The Bible says we're two or more gathered, that he is there, and he is here in a very real way, and we expect him to move over the next few moments. That's why we come to church. And so we started a sermon series a few weeks ago called Home for the Holidays, and we just liked the, the topic of home. It just it feels like that is a, the over-aching theme I've shared with you about uh, the Hallmark movies. It feels like that home is, is, a, is a theme of Christmas that, that should, be, should be covered. And so what we did is we went into the Bible and we said, let's find a story in the Bible that is really all about coming home, that is all about uh, uh, a child figuring out and finding out about his father's love. And so we, we went to the, the book of Luke chapter 15 and we said, let's, let's spend a whole month in this story, and I know what some of you are thinking, why are you preaching four messages from the same story? I feel like this story is a lot like a holiday movie. It has a lot in common, whereas you can, you can watch certain holiday movies over and over and over again, and they're always good. Are you with me? Like every year, what, what movies do you watch? When I was a kid, I watched the original Rudolph, you know, the one that was made in Claymation, whatever it was, Frosty the Snowman. When I was a young, young teenager, Home Alone came out. Like right now, I can, when I watch Home Alone, it just takes me Back, no matter how many times I watch it, I, I love the movie. Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2. Now on Netflix, there's Home Alone 3, Home Alone 4. Those are not right, right? Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2. Then some years ago, Elf came out. You guys remember Elf? And then, and then this year, one of the hits that I've watched that I think is going to be a new holiday classic is Daddy's Home 2. I think that just has classic written all, all over it. And, the, and the, the theme is there's always a family issues getting put back together. And, and I just think you can watch these movies over and over and over again, and that they're always good. Same thing is true for this story. I think that, that if you're going to talk about God's love, that this story, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, uh, no matter what you've been through, no matter how long you've been at church, if you're new, old, it's always going to ring a bell with us. And here's why. Because it answers the question, who does God love? And, and the other question is, have I done too much for God to love me? 
Who, who does God love? Because in this story, we see that his listeners are made up of two different people. And I think every church has these two types of people. You have the religious, the rejected. The religious, the rejected. A lot of churches are filled with too many religious people, not enough rejected people. But when Jesus is preached, you have both of those people. The religious, they come in here, they have a hard time singing, God has been so good to you because you've been so good to God. So it's hard for you to sing it. It's hard for you to lift your hands up. It's hard for you to make a big deal about it because God has maybe been good to you, but you've also been good to God this year. And so you have the religious and those are the people that kind of didn't, didn't like Jesus. And then you have the, the rejected, the people that shouldn't be near Jesus, that were, that were the outcasts that have been told their entire life. You shouldn't, you really have nothing to do with church. You have nothing good to offer God. And you have both of these groups of people and they're both leaning into this story as Jesus is telling it. Because they want to know, because he claims to be God's son, they want to know who God is. The religious people lean in because they are mad that he is teaching people things that they don't agree with. And the rejected lean in because they're going, is this, could this, maybe this is possible. Our entire life, we've heard that God's not for us, he's against us, and you're re-explaining this whole story of God. And I think it transcends time. So what we did is a few weeks ago, we started with the topic of the beginning of the story. If you weren't here, the beginning of the story that Jesus tells as he's trying to explain the love of God, he said, the love of God is like this father with his son. His son is the younger son. He comes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance, which at that time was not an uncommon thing. You just usually waited till your father was dead. And so when he came to his father and asked for his inheritance, he was essentially telling his father, I wish you were dead. I don't care about you. I just won't want you have to offer me. So his father gives him his money. Uh, you remember Pastor Jordan talked about running away. You, you don't get what you need. You end up having to settle. And so he, he kind of talked about what happens when we, when we run away from God, when we step outside of this relationship with, with God. And then last week, we talked about being broken, like hitting rock bottom, because the, the scripture says that, that he goes out and he squanders all of his wealth, which we, we kind of know before the story even starts. Like we go, this is what's going to happen. It's like a movie. You know what's going to happen before it actually happens. And so he squanders all his wealth. And here's the thing, the religious people, what are they doing? He's getting what he deserves. That's what religious people do. He's getting what he deserves. The rejected people are going, what's going to happen to this guy? I can relate to him. I understand the wrong that he did. He told his father he wishes he was dead. He squandered all of his wealth. They will come into the presence of Jesus and they will feel like they have messed up too much and they're at rock bottom. And I told you last week, I said, why did God in this story or why did the father let this man hit rock bottom? I said, because this is actually the place that you build a relationship with Jesus. That it's a spot where he can actually reveal that he loves you beyond your behavior, that he loves you because you're his. So we talked about the understanding. So if you're at rock bottom, maybe you can go back and you can catch that, that message out. But for the next two weeks, I want to show you the, the return. That, that's what today's message is called, the, the return. And next week, I want to show you on Christmas Eve this incredible response of the Father. That you, It's almost like he's trying to show us the love, the ridiculous grace of God. This week, we'll talk about mercy. Next week, I want to show you grace. If you don't know what those are, mercy is when God gives you or doesn't give you what you deserve. So you're in trouble. God doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace is when he gives you more than you deserve. There's a, he gives you both. He's both merciful and graceful. We're going to see that in the story. We're going to see the mercy of God and, and, and the grace of God. And he's going to reveal this in this story to his, his son as everybody's listening. So just to keep you up to speed, he squandered his wealth. And the next power it says in Luke 15, we read this last week, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? He's asking him this question. 
And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now, I think in this moment that that what he expects to happen and what he actually experiences are going to be totally opposite. And this is one of my main prayers for, for, for Journey Church. I believe people come here every week and you have certain expectations of who God is, of what he wants to do at all of our campuses, of how he's going to act, of how the church is going to treat you, of what the, if a lightning is going to strike if you sit here. Everybody's going to look at you weird. Everybody's going to know that you have problems. And I love this story because I think this young man had certain expectations and we're about to see that his expectations and his experiences are a lot different. Let me give you a really practical example. When I moved here from Oklahoma, I had friends come visit me one, one weekend from Oklahoma and I said, what do you guys want to do? And we talked about some things and they said, we'd like to go see Atlantic City. And I was like, what? I'm like, well, take us, we've heard of Atlantic City, you know, Philly's cool too, but can we just go see? We don't want to really gamble. We just want to see what Atlantic City's like. And so we got in our car, we drove an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it is, Atlantic City. We pulled in and we parked at the Tropicana and we got out, went onto the beach, looked around, looked at the boardwalk, all these things. And I looked at him and I could tell that his expectations and our experience were not lining up. And so I asked him, I said, what's wrong with you, man? I said, this is this Atlantic City. This is all the glory. That bum over there, that's fine. Like, the throw up, just step over it. Like, it's all fine. That sound in the casino, just ignore it. That's just the sound of hell, right? And so, like, just ignore it. And I could tell it was like ex- expectations, experience. And this is what he told me. He said, I expected this to be a mixture of Cancun meets Las Vegas. I expected this to be different. This is what I'm talking about when, when I'm talking about the love of God. Well, I, mean, I know you have a normal church. You're like, you're not using Atlantic City to talk about God. Welcome to Journey Church. And so best illustration I could think of, I had a bunch of other shady maple, Christmas village, places like that, expectations, experience, totally different, right? But that's the one that I went to. Maybe next service, I'll t- choose a different one, depending on how religious they are. And so anyway, I think the son is about to have this kind of moment with God. And my prayer is every week that somebody that's listening would have the same experience. That they would come here, that they would expect uh, for God to be distant from them, expect for God to be upset with them, expect for God to be disgusted by them, expect to look different than everybody else that's coming here, expect for everybody to know their business just by looking at them. And they come into this place, and my prayer has always been, God, give them a real experience with you. Because God, you can change anybody. But God, you love people more than they even know you love them. God, you, you can use anyone on this earth that they just simply receive your love and understand your son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to show you the next part of the passage because to me, it is the most scandalous statement in all of scripture. Like I, I would say, if you, don't, if you read it too fast, you'll miss it. But I want to show you, because here's the thing, religious people, they are, they are uh, ticked off at this little kid. Like they're like, he, he, he's not coming home. He deserves this. And the, and, the, and the rejected people are leaning way in to see how the father is going to act. And watch what the Bible says in Luke 15. And you should highlight this part. The Bible says, but while he was still a long way off, his father sees him and is filled with compassion for him. Now, I, I would argue that the reason he sees him is because he's been waiting for him. Now, while he's a still a long way off, that he was filled with compassion. And watch what it says. You should highlight this. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He, he, he ran the most scandalous statement in this. Maybe I'll just say this entire story because I don't want to get in an argument with, you, argument with you later. 
But for me, the, one of the most scandalous things Jesus says in this story is not only does the son go home, and not only does the father see him while he's a long way off, which means that he is watching for his son, that he is waiting for his son. Not only does he have compassion on the son, which means he feels for the son, even though the son has made a wretched mistake. The Bible says that he runs to the son. Let me explain to you why that's so ridiculous. And why when Jesus said this, the people would have flipped out. They would have been like, absolutely not. And here's why. Maybe you've never heard this. Maybe you're a church person. You've heard the story a bunch of times. But I think this is maybe one of my favorite aspects of the story. Two reasons, really. The first reason is, in that culture, Jewish fathers didn't run. They just didn't. They wore innate robes. They had pristine rings. They were big time. I would equate their walk to the John Wayne, the old John Wayne walk. I haven't theologically found how they walked. Nobody has evidence of this. But I think that they strutted. I was just like, they... They were the bigwigs. This was the mafia. They were the head honcho. Like this, this whole community revolved around, around them. This was their home. This, this is, this is, they've worked all these years to be respected and revered. And Jewish fathers did not run. In fact, they walked everywhere. They were never in a hurry. It was a sign of, their, of who they were. And so when this father ran, this was ridiculously outrageous to religious people. Because here's why. One of the things Jewish fathers never did is show off their ankles. I don't know why. But it was just a, a part of that culture. And so what Jesus is saying is this father loses it. Not only does he lose it, but the word run in Greek actually means sprint. I don't know how old this dude is, but he's using body parts and muscles that he has not used since he played Red Rover as a kid. I mean, he is running to, sprinting to his son. I, I cannot even imagine. His listeners are going, what? The, the rejected are going, what? He ran to his... This is why it's so confusing to people because we often think to get to God, we have to do certain things, right? To get to God, you need to put your kids in confirmation, baptize your kid, dedicate your kid, become part of a church, get a tombstone somewhere. We do all these religious things. And the Bible says, you don't get to God, God gets to you. While you're still a long way off, that he is watching for you. And the moment that he sees you begin to turn towards him, the Bible says that he doesn't stand back with his arms crossed and say, when you get here, we're going to have a talk about your current life. The Bible says as soon as he sees you turning, that he is already running to you. And you're going to see at the end of this story that before he can even get words out, the father was like, shh. He runs to his son. First thing is Jewish fathers never ran. Second thing is the reason that he ran is because he realized that if he didn't get to his son before his community got to his son, that his community would tell him that you're supposed to be out, you're not allowed in, which, by the way, often happens in church. You see, in that time, not only didn't Jewish fathers run, this is, this is even neater to me, is it was customary at that time, if, if somebody ever did this to their father, that if they ever had the audacity to return home, that the father would stay in their home and they would meet this young boy. The entire city would meet this young boy on the outskirts of town. Maybe his mother comes because she's a mom and she's crying, right? But the father does not show his face. And they would put this boy in the middle of all these people up in front, ashamed of what he's done. And you can just picture this little, this, this young guy. He's dirty. He's made a mistake. He's been hanging out with pigs. And before he could ever get to his father, they would have what was called a kazaza. It simply means you're not worthy. You can't come back. You're, you're broken and unfixable. And what they would do before the entire community, while his father was not even supposed to be there, is they would take a piece of pottery and they would look around and everybody would be scowling at this, this wretched boy and they would smash this piece of pottery at his feet. And it was a symbol in that community that what you did is unfixable. 
We don't know why you're back here, but you don't belong here anymore. The mistakes that you've made, you can't cover them. You can't even come back here and work for your father. You're not even worthy of being here anymore. And they would smash this, and then you know what they do? They would send, the, the mother would be crying, my baby, and they would send him away, and they said, never come back. And so his father's watching the city, getting ready to greet his son, and his father says, forget you. Before this city can get to you, I'm going to get to you. And before they have a chance to break this piece of pottery, not only am I going to come greet you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to see next week, I'm going to put a robe on you which says you're my son. I'm going to give you the ring, which tells everybody you're my son, and we're going to have a party. Before they can tear you apart, I'm going to lift you up. This is a symbol of the grace of God. We're going to see this next week. But his expectations and his experience were so dramatically different. And my prayer for you is that the same thing would happen today. See, it's really important to understand what God's expectations are of you. If you're in a bad spot, if you're thinking about turning your life around, if your marriage is falling apart, if your, 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 your family is falling apart, if you are at the point, and oftentimes we have to hit rock bottom to get to that point, if you are at the point where you realize that this life has nothing to offer you, understanding what God expects from you is really important because if you come in here with the wrong expectations, you'll never have the deep sense of relationship that God wants you to have and you'll never be able to lift your hands and say, God, you've been so good to me. You'll come in here with the religious spirit. You'll, you'll, you'll think you've done something for God. When I say, how's your year been? You go, I don't know if God's been good to me at all. I've worked really hard this year and I've been good to my to myself. And so I want to talk to the people who maybe you're considering asking God into your life, committing your life to Jesus Christ, and you're wondering what he expects from you. I just want to give you three expectations that I think will change your experiences with him. God's a God that runs. God's a God that loves us more than you can imagine and I can imagine. Number one is this. What are God's expectations of me? Number one is this, and this one's good. God does not expect me to stay in remorse. God does not expect me if you've messed up, the son's messed up. The son has done some wretched things. The son is convinced that he can go back and show his father how sorry that he is. He's going to go back and just live a sorry existence for the rest of his life. And I want you to embrace this. Some of you should write this down because you're carrying the weight of your past that Jesus has already won for you. Mistakes that you've made, baggage that you carry. You come into this place today and you're going, how much time is it going to take me to get over this? How much do I have to carry? How sorry do I have to be? And I need you to understand, God does not expect me and you to stay in remorse. In other words, being sorry and staying sorry are two different things. Being sorry and staying sorry are two different things. I want to show you what it says in scripture in 2 Corinthians 7. It says, godly sorrow, what does it do? It brings repentance. We're going to talk about that word in a few moments. That leads to salvation, and, and let, watch, and it leaves no regrets, right? Uh, but worldly sorrow, what does it do? Everybody say it. What does it bring? Death. Let me, let me ask you. You ever met someone that when you talk to them, it just feels like their life is being covered by darkness? I just had a conversation this morning with, with somebody as we were getting prepared for church. And, and when I spoke with, with them, they don't go to church here, so don't, I'm not talking about anybody sitting in Phoenixville right now. But when I spoke to him, we started talking about life and, and, and past and, and regret. And, you know, he's kind of older now. And so we, we kind of moving through his life. And as I'm talking to him about how you can't go back, you can always go forward. I mean, he's, he's crying. He's crying. Like, I, I, I'm not even into the full story. And I can just feel the weight of the 
of the darkness in his life. Why? Why? Because it's worldly sorrow, worldly regret that what does it do? It brings death. It brings this, this, this hopelessness that you can't make things right, that you, you can't fix your past problems, that you can't go back and be sorry enough. And one of the greatest expectations of God that I think is so cool is he does not expect me to stay in, in remorse. You see, there's, there's, there's a difference with God. There's something called conviction, and there's a word a lot of you live with, which is condemnation or shame. And, and they are so different. You see, shame or, or, or worldly sorrow comes from Satan. And shame says you are something wrong. Shame says you've made a mistake. Shame says you can never get over that. Shame points out the issues in your life, but never gives you a way out. Conviction is different. Conviction urges. Conviction speaks. Conviction, it aches. Conviction is from God. You know what conviction is? Conviction is in those moments where you're settling in areas of your life and the Holy Spirit is saying this to you. I have something much better for you. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad for you. I have something much better for you. Right now, you are settling in your life, and conviction shows you the answer. And so many of you in this place, you live your life with shame. And shame is not from Jesus. You see the, you see the interaction with the, with the son. He doesn't come up, and his father doesn't say, we're going to have to really talk about this. Do you know what you've cost me? You've made a mockery before my friends. You, you spent all the money that it took me all these years to acquire just in a few weeks? What did you do, son? He doesn't bring him in and say, okay, you can come home, but for the rest of your life, you're going to be a servant to me, and you're never going to get past this, and we're, we're going to constantly kind of have not a father-son relationship, but a slave and a, and a boss relationship, and for the rest of your life, I want you to carry this around. In fact, I want you to wear that black shirt over there. So that everybody knows the mistakes that you've made. This is going to become part of your, your story for the rest of your life. You're going to struggle with your sin and your mistakes. And everybody's going to know the mistakes that you've done. And even when you get married, I want you to continue to carry this and pass it off onto your kids. It's almost ridiculous how quickly that the father moves through this with him. See, I think sometimes we want to prove to God how sorry we are based on how long that we're sorry. But watch what scripture says in 1 John 1. He says, if we confess our sins, what is he? He is faithful and he is just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, it doesn't say if we confess our sins and hold on to them. It doesn't say if we confess our sins and we're sorry for the next month. It says if we confess our sins in that moment, he is faithful to purify. What does that mean? He's going to clean, it up, clean us out and act like it's not even there. One scripture says he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. Can I just talk to you about one of my sons real fast that drives me crazy? My oldest son, Carter, of all of my kids, and maybe you have a kid like this, he, he literally, he, he feels bad for something for like three seconds. Like if he does something and I start, I can see it in his mind. Like as soon as he figures out how much trouble he's in, anything after that in our conversation, he's gone. I can see his eyes. He's on to something else. He's worried about the next, like, and sometimes I'm like, can you just take what you've done seriously? Can you, can you be upset for once in your life for all of the sorrow that you are creating me right now? Like, can you just, can you just, can you take it on your, can you feel the weight of your, your, your wretchedness and your mistakes? And, and him, it's just like, whatever. I used to get so mad at him. And then I realized, here's, here's, the, here's the good thing about that, is he is so, uh, he so understands our love for him, and he so just expects it to be there, that in his little mind, he, there is nothing in his head that he does at my house that it's going to click in me and go, we don't love you anymore, you're not my son. 
Like, I have to discipline him, but there is nothing that he does in my house that he is worried about me going, you know what, that's it. I'm calling Ted, he's coming to get you, you're going to the home. I've even tried that before, it doesn't work. Like, there is, he is so sure of my love, and I used to get so mad, and now I think, no, no, no. That's how it should be. When we mess up, we should be so sure of God's love that we so quickly come back to him. And we know if we confess our sins, we we should be sorry. We should be repentful. We're going to talk about that. But as soon as we do that, we should be so sure of God's love for us because he does not expect me to stay in remorse. And some of you are carrying something in your life that Jesus put on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he is saying, let it Let it go. That mistake that you made, that issue that you've had in the past, that, that thing that you said, yes, you made a mistake when you were a, kid, a parent, or yes, you dropped the ball in that scenario and situation, but you've moved past it. You're as clean as, as the Bible says, and it was white as snow. I already paid the price for you. I don't, I don't expect you to stay in remorse. Let me give you another expectation. God does not expect me, here's a good one, to pay him back. Some of you in, in, that, in that mode with, with him. I think about this son. And what did he say? I'm going to come back and work for my father and I'm going to repay back my debt. And I think to myself as he has that mentality is it took the father his entire life to save up what he gave you for you to spend in a couple months. And the father does not have enough time remaining, nor do you have enough money to ever pay him back. And I think so many of you in this room, the reason that your relationship with God is not that exciting, and the reason that it's difficult for you to worship God, and the reason that it's difficult for you to have a grateful heart, is you are convinced that you are paying God back for something. And I guess I'll go to church. I guess I'll sing a couple songs. I guess I'll give him a couple bucks. Maybe I'll even give him my tithe. I'm paying God God back. I'm keeping God off my, my shoulders. And by the way, if you ever get to the point where you have a relationship like this with God, you should just quit it. It's awful. And I always say this to people when they're listening. Just think about you and an earthly parent. If that's the relationship you have with your earthly parent, is that enjoyable to you? Are you going, hey, December 25th is coming up and I get to see my parent who I still owe. All those times they paid for heat and my braces, they still hang that over my head and I'm trying to pay them back, but they just get older and I'm getting older, but I don't have enough time. And this kid, I think he comes to this this decision. I'm going to come back and I'm going to try to pay my father back and that's his expectation. But what is his experience? That my father is not going to ask me to pay him back. That the debt that I've created, that I'm not going to have to pay that back. In fact, watch what it says in Psalms 40. It says, for troubles without numbers surround me. My sins, they overtake me. I cannot even see them all, he says. Watch this. They are more than the hairs on my head, and my heart fails within me. I mess up so much, I can't even keep up with it. My, my son Carter, he's like that. I mean, he, he does stuff in my house. He, he forgets about it. But I remember when we first moved into our house a few years ago, and I shared this story. It was about two weeks into us living there, and he was making himself at home. They were down in the basement playing foosball. He got mad because his brother scored a goal, and he lost. He picked the foosball up. He threw it at his brother, missed his brother, threw it right through the window downstairs. I was living with him. I forgot that in my childhood, I had broke the basement window seven times. That's a lucky number. A bunch of times when my father had instructed me to not kick the ball through the, uh, downstairs because you'll kick it through the window, and I still did. But in this moment, I was so living with him, and I said, you need to pay for that window. I said, how much money do you have? He had 20 bucks. I said, give me your 20 bucks. 
and gave me the 20 bucks. And I said, I don't know how much the wind is going to cost. I bet it's going to cost a couple hundred bucks. You're going to repay me. And, and, and the story changed. I gave him his 20 bucks back. I remembered all the crappy things that I'd done. My parents pointed out the flaws of my life and how they never made me pay anything back. But in that moment, I think it was funny because I was asking my son who had 20 bucks to pay for a window that was going to cost him 200 bucks right, to fix because I just got to fix a couple months ago. I finally got tired of mice coming in through the hole he created. And it was funny because in the two years since he broke that window, do you think he stopped breaking stuff? You think he was like, you know what, dad, that's the last mistake that I'm going to make. He would, st- he would owe me his kidney, right? Like, this is be- let's just be honest with the whole, like, there is- he doesn't have enough money to cover all of his mistakes. And if I asked him to, he would never be able to do it. And I think we're silly when we come to God and we think, okay, how much do I have to do to pay you back? And God is saying, really? On the way in here today, you sin so much that you should be in hell for eternity. Like, that's just reality. Every time you gossip, the Bible says you should give an account for every word that you speak. Every time you lust, every time you cheat, every time you steal, every time you yell at your spouse, every time that you get drunk. Can I just talk about that a little bit? Every time that you've gotten addicted, every time that we fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says that our debt and the wages of our sin is is hell. And he's going, you can't even cover yesterday. And you're going to try to pay back it today. And while you're trying to pay it back today, you're going to flip somebody off while you're working. You're going to get mad at your kid. You're going to lose your temper. You can't even pay back yesterday as you're going into today. He says, you don't have enough money in your spiritual bank. And so one of the best news about the gospel of Jesus Christ is the message he's trying to share in this moment, that God does not expect me to, to, to pay it back, that somebody else pays my debt for me. You ever have your debt paid? I remember a few years ago, I was almost done my, my college tuition. I had three months left. I owed $650. At the end of the year, 2015, I get a letter in the mail. You know what it said? Somebody, I'm not sure who it was, somebody had canceled out your debt and your debt is gone. If you're a college student, that is one of the best days of your life. We were like, my debt is clear, but somebody else paid off my debt. A few years after that, I had to get some dental work done. I had to get a cap. No, it's not because I didn't brush my teeth. I have soft teeth. <laughs> now, I was like a thousand bucks and I went to pay it at the end of a year. Same situation. I went to pay it and I called them up and I tried to make my payment. They said, Some, but somehow your, pay, your, your bill's gone. The tooth fairy paid. Somebody paid it off. <laughs> this is what happens with Jesus. You come to Jesus and you have this debt. The Bible says that he redeems you, which is a legal, a legal term. That says you owe a debt and Jesus pays it off for you. That's what scripture says in 1 Peter 3. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, bought back, the Bible says, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus came and paid off your sins, past, present, and future. Jesus does not expect you to pay him back. Jesus does not expect you to stay started. Can I tell you the one expectation he does have of you today if you are in a mess? God does expect me to turn to him, though. God does expect me to turn to him, then. Let me, let, me, let me ask you a question. Do you have a toddler? You ever make a mess? She ever make a mess? Maybe you were away from them, and they, they dumped something on the floor, and they know they were going to be in trouble, and they decide to start trying to clean it up themselves. Do they make it better or worse? <laughs> I mean, it gets, it gets absolutely worse. My brother one time got into the butter when he was a little kid, took it out, wiped it all over the floor, 
began to try to clean it up. By the time that he tried to clean it, it was everywhere. It was in every room of the house. And this is what happens as, as, as we deal with our, our shame and our guilt and our sorrow with God. Is we, we think, because we think that God is going to be upset with us, and because we think that God is going to be distant, and because we think that he's going to be kind of distraught with all the things that we've done, and because we think we have to pay it off, and we can't really pay it off, and he wants us to be really sorry, and for some of us, we don't even want to deal with it because it rehashes all those old memories. What do we try to do? We just stay away from God, and we try to clean up our sins ourselves. And I want to encourage you that the only expectation that God has for you today, if you are in a bad spot, is he just wants you to turn to him. See, in the story, you'll, you'll find the son in the very next passage, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But the Bible says, if you go, if you keep reading, what is it? The Bible says that the son gets to the father, and he says to him, Father, watch this, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, which, by the way, that's the spot we should all be. You're not worthy to be here. Some of you, can you just bring that down? Can I just be honest with you? Because the one thing I think is, is struggling in our church is this over, overwhelming sense of gratitude in the presence of God. I think we all struggle with it. I think that's why we tend to walk in late. I think that's why we tend to not make a big deal about worship. I think that's why we just kind of grin and bear this. I think we struggle, me and you both. We struggle with with this, this over, overwhelming thankfulness for the presence of God. Because here's the thing, he shouldn't be anywhere near you. You are not lovable. You're not cute. You're not good looking. You're not impressive. You're not overly smart. You are a completely average person. You are unforgettable. Can I, just, can I just offend you for a little bit? No matter how much you do in this earth, they're going to put you in a box in the ground and you're going to turn to dust. And you're going to be forgotten within a couple generations. That's the reality of life on this earth outside of God. You're nothing without him. But he decided to love you, the unlovable. He decided to give grace to the person who didn't deserve any grace. He decides to continue to love you and make a big deal about you, even though, let's just be honest, we don't make a big deal about him. Let's just, let's just be frank. We all struggle with that. So this father meets this son, and he does what everybody does I'm no longer worthy, but his father says this, watch this. He says, quick, we're going to talk about it. Bring the best robe. This is grace. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, I want to ask you something. Did the son bring a ridiculously long apology to the father? No. He didn't even get to. His father stops in mid-sentence and says, we don't got time for your long apology. You're, you're home. You're going to see this next week. You see, the truth is the acceptance of God is not attached to the length of your apology. It's just in your approach. As soon as that son turned around, that's what repentance means. Physically, he turned around and he came back to the father. The Bible says that the father is waiting and longing for him, that he is not disappointed in the son that he was disappointed for the son. That's how God feels for you today. He's not disappointed in you. His heart breaks for you because his plan for you is much greater than your plan for you. His purpose for you is much greater than any purpose you can find on this earth. His love for you is better than any love you're going to find in any other human being. And when you seek anyone besides him and your heart breaks and you struggle and you have anxiety and you deal with fear and you deal with worry and you deal with baggage, God is not good in heaven going, I can't believe you're doing that. He's disappointed for you saying, just come home. 
just, just turn back. Just, just, just come back to me. That's why the Bible says in Acts 3, repent. What does it say? And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And watch what the promise of Scripture is. So that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, here's what I've always taught in this church. You can continue to go your own way. You can conceal your sin. And what you conceal that he can never heal. You can act like you have it all together. You can conceal your sin or you can reveal it to God. And when we reveal ourselves to God and we turn back to him, those are the moments that he is able to heal us. He does not expect you to carry around your sin for the rest of your life. He does not expect you to pay him back. He does expect you to turn to him. And when you turn to him, he's there. The Bible says he is an ever-present help in a time of need. Uh, when you turn and need him, and when you turn and tell him that he is already running towards you, would you stand with me all over this house, and would you bow your heads, and would you close your eyes? I wonder if you're in this place, and you, you have a current mess that you're trying to clean up yourself. I wonder... If you are in the mindset where you are trying to pay back God, I wonder if you are in the mindset where God cannot love you because of the mistakes that you have made. See, one of the things I love about the Bible, if you do some digging, is the people who God met and used and the people who even wrote the Bible were totally underqualified and unlovable people. That's why God uses them. Because the Bible says that God does not Look for the wise things of this world, the people that have it all together, that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That means if you feel underqualified, that you are right where you're supposed to be to be used by God. If you feel like you're a mess, that God wants to use your life for a message. If you feel like you're unfixable, that God, he can put you back together. Here's the thing though, you need to get to the point where you are desperate for him. Desperate enough to come back to him. The Bible says to humble yourself. That's what this was in this moment for this boy, by the way. He was going to humble himself and admit that he failed. Admit that he couldn't do life on his own. But you see, the father did not treat him like that. When he humbled himself, the father lifted him up. And that father is here right now. And he loves you more than I can explain. I could talk for the next hour about the love of God. But God proves his love for you through his son, Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do for you and me? Well, I'm a sinner. And there was nothing I could do to have the, the debt of my sin forgiven. The Bible says the wages of my sin was death in hell. But I received a gift. And the gift was a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that same gift that I was given, that God extends his hands towards this earth, at all of our campuses. And he says, for anyone who would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, that he's a God that's been running after you. That he's a God that will stand in the midst of your brokenness and say, no, 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 it's not over. I don't care how bad that it is, there's still a purpose and a plan for your life. And he is a God that is simply saying, would you turn back to me? And in that moment, it's not about a long religious prayer. It's not even about signing up for a church. It's simply just a physical moment in your life where you say, you know what? I'm turning back to God. Maybe some of you have been gone from church from a long time. And you tried to figure this life, a life out on your own, but something was planted in your soul a long time ago. And even though you've run, today you are turning back to God. Maybe you've never been in church before. 
And the Bible says that God knocks at the door of your heart. And I believe for somebody in this place that God knew the exact Sunday that you would come, that you were not an accident, you were not here by accident, you were not born by accident, that you were made by a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. And he is here right now for you. And there's some of you in this place that you are claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but your life is filled with sin. You have no relationship with him. And you've tried to clean your own mess up and you're still doing it. You're going to leave this place and you're going to cover it up a little more and you're just like that toddler. Just making a bigger mess. You're in a bigger web of lies. There's more darkness following you and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And so instead in this moment, God is saying, come, come on. I loved you. I loved you when you were born. I loved you when you came and said yes to me. I, I love you in that, that pit. I love you in that shame. I love you more than you can imagine. Turn to me. Turn to me. So what do we do in this moment as we get ready to close? How do we turn to God? What do we ask people to do? As we close at all of our campuses, we just simply ask them and say, if that's you, if you're ready to turn your life to God, we take a step of faith. And how we take a step of faith, a physical step, is we just, as I pray at the end, we just say, if that's you, would you just simply place your hand in the air as a signal that today's going to be my day. Today I'm turning my life, my mess, my hurt, my pain, my brokenness, just like the sun did, I'm turning it back to God. And would you experience the love of a God that would run to you, that did everything to get to you. He is here right now. And I pray that his power and his presence is evident. And he is reaching his hands out to you, his son or her daughter, his daughter, and he's saying, come home, come home. So if you're here right now and you are ready to turn your life back to God, just like the son did, I'm going to turn my life back to God. I'm going to give him my hurt. I'm going to ask him to pay off the debt of my life and my sin through Jesus Christ. I want to become a new person. If you're here right now and you're ready to Say yes to Jesus with nobody looking around. Don't worry about the person to your right or left. They got their own issues. But this is my moment. This is what I need to do. This is what God is, is drawing me. He's knocking at the door of my heart. Jesus, I want you to come in. If that's you all over our houses, I just want you to stick your hand straight up in the air and say, hey, pastor, that's me. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to ask him to come in. I'm going to return to him. I'm going to ask him to forgive my sins and set me free. If you're at our other campuses, you say, hey, pastor, I see one hand right here. Is there anybody else? Say, hey, pastor, that's me. I'm just going to stick here for just a few more moments. If you're at our other campuses, and you say, hey, pastor, that's me. There's somebody standing in the front, and they're going to let me know that you responded. And as people respond, we're going to, we're going to start to pray. So let's do that, church. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for those that are responding to your gospel. The same thing that happened in the story. They come into their senses. And Jesus, they're returning themselves to you. And as they do that, just a simple prayer. Jesus, become the Lord of my life. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. That you gave up your life for me. That you paid the debt that I owed. And that you do not call me to walk in an atmosphere of sorriness or, or, or bitterness or hopelessness. But you're a God that redeems and sets free. Lord, when I turn to you, you receive me, just like the Father does in the story. Not only do you receive me, but you restore me. Lord, you set me free. And so we leave this place a brand new creation. That's what scripture says. The old is gone. 
died with you. And Lord, when you rose from the dead, Lord, we now rise in power and in victory in you. And Lord, we live, we live for you. And so Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for those that are continuing to respond. Lord, thank you for the person in Royersford and the two people at Plymouth meeting, Lord. Thank you for that person online that's sitting wherever they're at right now. That's your region. Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, I pray that you would just, that you would just rebirth this, this message in Journey Church. That we would leave this place with a sense of gratitude, Lord, because when we have a grateful heart for all that you've done, it just flows out of us. Lord, we love the world better. We share share the message better, Lord. And so I pray that you would just, Lord, you would just help us to leave with this, this sense of just, just gratitude for all that you've done. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be in here for the last hour and to sing to you and to receive from you and to hear your word. Lord, thank you that we have an opportunity to go into the world this week and share the message of Jesus. Thank you for all that you continue to do. In Jesus' name that we pray. Journey Church, one more time, would you shout amen? Come on, let's clap together as... One church.